0: Today's programming features women only, besides Tinashe who helped us uh, enter into the program um, and really uh, wanting to champion the work that uh, women are doing in the art world. Also thinking about the program which is dedicated to Yvonne Vera, a very important artist, um, community builder, author from Zimbabwe who passed away in 2005. And we're thinking about the way her work bridges uh, the gap between community, the literary world and the visual art world. And all the panelists here are doing phenomenal work that also uh, bridges, different spaces, and genres. Um, so I'll go ahead and introduce Amber, and uh, she will uh, bring in the intros for all the other panelists. Amber Aceva is the Assistant Curator at the Institute for Contemporary Art at Virginia Commonwealth University. We're colleagues, we teach at the same university. Um, at the ICA Aceva co-curated declaration in 2018, um, the ICA's inaugural exhibition, where she led the commissions uh, with Autumn Night and uh, Tavares Strachan <laughs> and Hedges, Edges, Dirt, also in 2018, which was featuring the work of Abbas Julian Schwartz, Carl Van, Jonathan De Andrada, David Hart, Julian Schwartz and Pascal Martin Tayu. I hope that is correct. Asava also curated a solo exhibition by Martin Sims, Shame Space, uh, which is up right now at ICA and is really phenomenal, uh, new media piece and sort of sculptural installation. Um, and will be the curator of the forthcoming exhibition, Great Force, also at the ICA, um, a group exhibition that will explore how contemporary artists contend with persistent black-white racial constructs in the U.S. She holds a BA um, in Art History from VCU uh, Arts and an MA from Center for Curatorial Studies, Bard College, which is also known as CCS Bard by most people. And thank you so much, Ava. I mean, Ava, eh, who's Ava? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna pass the mic over to Ava DuVernay, no? um, to Amber Aseva, and thank you so much for leading the discussion today.
1: Uh, Thank you Nonsi Tinashe for having us uh, and thank you all for being here, it's such a pleasure to be here in this context having a conversation with the two of you um, who I admire um, uh, your work uh, and the positions you hold within institutions. Um, I'm going to introduce you to biographical information before we get into the conversation. So, Ashley James uh, is a curator based in New York, working as an assistant curator of contemporary art at the Brooklyn Museum of Art. At the Brooklyn Museum, uh, James was the lead curator of the traveling exhibition, Soul of a Nation, Art of the Age of Black Power, can you hear me? Okay, sorry. Uh, Dedicated to politically, socially, and aesthetically revolutionary periods of black artistic practices from 1963 to 1983. Most recently, James was the curator of Eric Mack's first New York solo exhibition, Let Me Me Walk Across the Room, featuring new site-responsive installations and existing textile-based works that expand the boundaries of painting, fashion, and textile-based Practices. While working at the Department of Drawing and Prints at the Museum of Modern Art, James assisted on both Charles White and Adrian Piper retrospectives, two incredible shows. Um, Tandazani Klakama uh, uh, is a Zimbabwean curator that is currently the curator of education and the manager at uh, Zitmoka in South Africa, in Cape Town. Um, At Zitmoka, Klakama curated Five Bow, Paintings at the End of an Era, an exhibition of contemporary painting from Zimbabwe, featuring 29 artists. She also coordinated uh, the International Conference of African Cultures uh, at the National Gallery of Zimbabwe in Harare in 2017, titled Mapping the Future. Uh, prior to that, Daklama was the curator of education at the National Gallery of Zimbabwe. So it's a pleasure to be here, and specifically to be here around the context of Yvonne Vera and her text, Why Don't You Carve Other Animals? Um, uh, A relatively, um, on the surface, simplistic, beautiful text that is um, full of nuance and metaphor about the role of art, art making, and uh, its relationship to consumption with respect to race. Uh, She's speaking specifically through the lens of coloniality and race, um, uh, that is centered around two characters, uh, a painter and a sculptor, uh, who are producing work within the economy of tourism in Zimbabwe. Uh, the story is uh, based around a conversation that they're having, uh, I'd like to assume, while they are um, in, um, uh, uh, in an area in which they sell their goods, for which they ask each other about the representations that they are uh, producing in the work that they produce. So the sculptor um, 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 is in the task of, uh, of sculpting these wooden animals, these giraffes and these elephants, and the painter, these idealized images um, uh, of scenes across the continent. Um, and for me, in the story, there's a really significant point um, in which uh, Yvonne describes the painter as continuously being in the practice of painting scenes that he has never seen before. Uh, and the painter looks to the sculpture and asks him, why is it that he is uh, producing uh, giraffes and elephants for a market, When why not produce animals that people are used to seeing in the city, like dogs and cats? Um, And, of course, the question and the conversation around this um, is really around forest economy, feel that they need to produce to represent um, uh, the uh, identities or the ideologies that um, is desirable when consuming objects um, um, in that particular area um, of Zimbabwe that I think is really interesting to think about today with respect to the role of artists, particularly artists and curators of color uh, that are working within institutions Uh, um, Many of those institutions uh, are primarily filled with um, individuals that are not of color in a time where uh, there is an incredible amount of opportunity um, and platform being given to artists and curators of color, um, an um, opportunity that is met with, at times, pressures uh, uh, on the artists and on the curators to represent what um, is expected of them to represent, is what what is um, familiar Uh, for a market to consume, sometimes those conversations being around um, trauma and around blackness, specifically in the United States, and how it relates to um, um, subjugation and or disparity. This might be a different context um, if we're speaking about um, Zimbabwe or South Africa, Um, but I think it's still relevant to think about um, the role that you all and myself as well um, play as curators that is um, that are given opportunities, opportunities to uh, uh, take on really big um, exhibitions within institutions, um, in which you know the the the, co- the content of this talk is curator as community broker. Um, uh, so thinking about. Our role as curators uh, within institutions or even independent curators to be the brokers of a given community um, and to broker and to and/or to leverage relationships. Um, and sometimes the um, relationships and the communities that um, are um, asked of uh, perhaps you all or perhaps curators of color to broker are communities that are assumed um, on the part of the curator, so um, whether it's a curator of color, a curator of um, um, uh, a non-normative gender, uh, assumptions about um, the audiences that you bring in and the communities that you might bring in um, when you do hold those um, positions and what that means. Um, And both of you have... Recently, um, in the past few years, taken on really tremendous shows. Ashley, you Soul of the Nation. You were the lead curator for a traveling show titled Soul of the Nation um, that originated at the Tate and came to you. Um, uh, and in my experience of uh, of that show, it. it it was incredibly privileged because it felt to me as if I was walking through an art history book that admitted white artists and kept all the black artists that were using radical strategies and uh, those works were just in front of me that I was so used to seeing in images within a context of an art history course and that was a great privilege Um, uh, but also a Massive undertaking for you, I can assume Um, and we'll get into the specifics. I have questions for both of you, but um, Tandazani with you, you um, um, Five Bow, in which uh, you uh, brought a really big survey of Zimbabwean paintings, 29 artists, correct, Um, to the institutions in which of Comprehensive exhibition um, about the contemporary status or the contemporary um, view of painting in the region, uh, which is um, in that comprehensive um, um, title or understanding of a show, one one can assume, or I can assume, that there's a lot of pressure in which um, you have to navigate which artists are included, what gaps to fill, what it is that the representations are, um, are speaking through in, in the exhibition, and again, where are the gaps. Um, and so, I want to start with a primary question to the both of you before we go into the specifics of your work. And it's around you and your role um, within institutions. Um, uh, you know, Ash, both of you, um, um, who do you look to, if it's not in your institution, um, maybe in history or in the art world, that are models for um, women, particularly black women, um, who are operating in able to um, kind of pave a way for themselves and present exhibitions that um, truly voice are we doing okay? A, a concern or uh, a condition within um, the art world? Uh, you know, I'm thinking about Thelma Golden's role at the Whitney uh, when she did Blackmail, and I always think about who she had on her team to speak to as a mentor, as um, a role model um, um, that reflected her position as a black woman in a operating in a uh, predominantly white institution. So my first question for you is around role models and is around um, who you look to uh, to be grounded um, and to, um, yeah, to to be inspired through um, in their, in their um, work. And it is that person within the institution that you work at?
2: Um, okay, hi everyone. Well, I'm excited to say that, um, so I was gonna say uh, Koya Kuyo, B.C. Silver, and Gabi Gogo, um, and I'm excited that Koyo Kuyo has uh, recently been appointed director and chief curator at Side Smoker, so I'm not in town for very long, rushing back so that I can be there when she arrives this coming week. Um, but in terms of role models, um, I felt like those three women, first of all, um, I think it's a massive undertaking that they are based on the African continent, on the geopolitical space that is Africa, and um, they are, they created spaces that are not necessarily traditional institutions, um, although they can loosely be called institutions, they kind of provoked institutions. And they, all three of them in different ways said, okay, we can't depend on government, we can't depend um, on certain infrastructures or systems that exist in the West, but we're going to fill a very important gap somehow. And so Gabby Tlobo um, in 2010 with a group of artists created the Center for Historic Reenactment um, that uh, provoked, challenged, and dismantled um, historical hegemonies uh, B.C. Silver, uh, many people are familiar with, with all three women's work. Um, she created the Center for um, Contemporary Art, Lagos. But more interesting, I, I look at Asiko as a provocation, um, a place of documentation, critical thought, um, and then Koyokuyo with uh, raw material and raw academy, and... So from a distance, those three continent, and we do have a unique set of challenges.
3: Um, Thank you both, and thank you Nancy and Tinashe for inviting me to be here. Um, Yeah, role models, I can name so many. I think um, I have specific ones related to projects that I'm interested in, and then more broadly, I'd say that I'm really um, inspired by the curator who's a heavy, intense researcher. I think that that's kind of just my natural inclination. Um, I really respect projects that um, take years, that take the kind of um, deep archival specificing that um, curatorial work sometimes require. And specifically, um, I always point to Dr. Kelly Jones, um, who is a curator, professor, um, who is largely, I think, responsible for this kind of reinvestment in the 1960s, 1970s black art scene, um, curated a number of shows that preceded Sullivan Nation. Um, including Now Dig This, which was a kind of revolutionary foundational exhibition that really broke open Los Angeles during that period and kind of placed David Hammonds, who has risen to the top amongst his contemporaries within a context um, where you can really see that he wasn't this kind of sole genius, but it was a kind of fertile space that supported his work The experimental work in particular, I guess it's all experimental. Um, And yeah, other curators, Dr. Deb Willis, who um, popped in, Um, uh, Lowry Stokes Sims is another uh, role model of mine. I think for so long, especially in black art, I think a number of us are recognizing that we're having a kind of renaissance of um, contemporary and historical black art that I think is a global renaissance, as it were, but um, at least the question that you're asking around role models is a reminder that that work has been happening for quite a long time. Um, uh, Women have been doing the majority of that work, I would say, if we were to sit down and quantify it. And um, yeah, it kind of, that's the necessary foundation before you get the kind of blockbuster shows that can, that can bring it all together when it's hitting like a specific kind of zeitgeist moment. Um, there's always just the kind of slow, lonely <laughs> research that precedes these, these moments of success that um, seem to account for the fields when they don't really give the entire picture.
1: So, I just want to follow up on something. Um, So when you were, as an assistant curator working at the Brooklyn Museum, you're asked, I'm assuming, hey Ashley, would you like to be the lead curator on this major exhibition? Um, How and in what ways did you reach out to, or were you able to reach out to people like Kelly Jones or um, um, role models to um, think through Um, how to um, be the lead curator for such a tremendous undertaking um, um, within an institution Um, and were you uh, allowed to seek mentorship outside to do that and did you feel like you needed to? Just interested to hear that process.
3: Um, Yes. I think we're in New York and luckily We, I, um, have access to these people. Kelly, Dr. Jones, was a former professor of mine. Um, So I did reach out to her on the level of kind of like, I'm doing this project. I... um, want to run, run it by you just in general, which I would do no matter what really, though I would say that, um, that wasn't necessarily necessary in terms of completing the project because it's just like the books already exist, the readings already there, the, uh, um, the kind of the evidence of all of the work that has, has come before is all that was really necessary in order to get it done. And I think being in conversation with those um, curators was an added bonus and um, fulfilled kind of other necessities of the project, but the research is there, you know? Read the book.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay, so, Tenzazani, I want to turn our attention to Five Bow, the exhibition uh, you did of the Zimbabwean um, artists, uh, specifically around painting. Given that this conversation is around um, our role and our relationship to communities, yeah? um, I would like to hear you talk about, um, you know, your your relationship to home as a Bobwin curator, um, um, given the task of putting together a show um, that surveys uh, painting um, in the region. Um, you know one of the things that Yvonne speaks about in her writing and in her process for writing um, she described um, this kind of angst in the uh, exile of never when she was not in Zimbabwe she felt like she couldn't write and she couldn't write about the community um, you know whether she be in Canada or in 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 Germany in a different place and she felt like she had to go back to um, have um, not necessarily access, but to feel the pulse of the community and to truly um, work within um, um, uh, the environment in which artists were producing. Um, and you know, you you made a proposal for um, when RAW um, was part of ICI. Called homesick, which included work by Nunzi, um and, and three other artists. Um, that was really intriguing to me. It was a proposal for an exhibition. Sorry, that-
2: can I? Can we talk about Five Bob? Yeah, 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 yeah. First, yeah. just
1: to yes. give yes. it a synopsis, yes, and
2: then bunny trail to that. About your, because yes. there's okay. so much I want to say. Yes. <laughs> um, so, okay, just to give everyone a bit of an idea. So, Five Five Bob, uh, painting at the end of an era, um, is still up, it opened in September, um, Sidesmoker Cape Town, and it features 29 artists uh, from Zimbabwe, and I use the term from Zimbabwe very loosely because I wanted to complicate what it meant to be Zimbabwean because there isn't one singular way of being Zimbabwean or one singular Zimbabwean narrative. Um, There were lots of um, diasporic voices, and um, even Zimbabweans who are based in Zimbabwe have very, different ways of expressing themselves and their identity. And some don't even want to be called Zimbabwean. And the reason why this exhibition came together, and this will answer your question about home and um, notions of place and identity. Um, So I moved to Cape Town from, I've been living in and out of Zimbabwe for the last 10 years, Um, but I moved to Cape Town December 2017, and my first major project was this exhibition. And it was, the concept came about two months after Robert Mugabe had just resigned. Robert Mugabe um, had been in power for 37 years and there was a very dramatic turn of events. Um, Some people call it a coup, some people say he resigned. Either way, it was very dramatic and there was jubilation. I mean, I remember dancing on the streets, Um, but that um, was sort of short-lived because we saw that the army helped to take Robert Mukabe down, but they kind of remained in the shadows. Um, So there was this, we were, I'm gonna use we when talking about Zimbabwe, because I I still feel like I'm a big part of that community, um, or that community is part of me. Um, So I found that we were trying to articulate a moment. It was important for Zaitzma how to, because sometimes you can only articulate it retrospectively. And it was important for Zeitsmoker to capture this moment. Um, Apart from Robert Mugabe resigning, um, all of this was happening at the backdrop of a severe economic cash crisis. Um, So leading into 2018, there was a lot of deja vu, um, because 10 years prior, there was massive um, groundbreaking inflation. So there were lots of things happening. So it was a moment of hope. Um, People were looking forward to democracy, but it was also a moment of anxiety. So the title of the show, Five Bob, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the Five Bob, it's a very British term, it means 50 cents. And that's the average taxi fare that you need to, well, until recently, it was the average taxi fare to move from point A to B in a minibus taxi or a combi, which is um, a very common mode of transport in many different African cities. So we felt like the Kombi was a good metaphor to talk about where the country was at, where you're like seated, you've paid your dues, and you're just waiting anxiously for the driver to start the car, um, but you don't know who's going to drive you, and you don't know where you're going. So it was our way of trying to capture this moment, and we um, decided to use, look at painting, because um, there's extensive research on sculpture from Zimbabwe, But a lot of interesting things had been happening with the medium of painting. um, And I felt like it hadn't really been documented. Um, So, what was the question again?
1: (laughs) The question was around your relationship to community, specifically when thinking about the show and the um, pressure of um, having a comprehensive view of uh, Zimbabwean painting and what that means.
2: Okay, so um, right from the very beginning, I made a conscious decision to listen, and I told myself that I just need to listen, and um, for some reason, um, a very common way of working within the art space in Zimbabwe is that a curator, an authority, comes with a theme and imposes it, and then artists respond to that theme. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but then there's a, an interesting power dynamic at play, and I didn't want to, to um, begin the exhibition process from a perceived position of power. So I didn't tell any of the artists until just before the show opened what the exhibition was about, although I knew that it, I wanted it to articulate a moment. And from spending hours and hours and hours with artists, just listening, um, well, first of all, listening helped because um, it meant that the artists were not editing or self-censoring themselves so much. And what I would often find is that um, the most interesting work would appear um, like from under the bed bed or the back of the studio, just as you chatted about anything and everything. Um, So there wasn't as much self-editing. Um, And um, at the same time, I think it helped that I had spent so many years working in Zimbabwe. So a lot of the artists I had known from um, being in Zimbabwe for um, many years.
1: (laughs) Um, I have a question for you, and, and it was prompted on a phrase you just said, but the question is still relative. Despite the fact that I forgot the phrase, but um, uh, you wanted to gauge uh, something about gauging the temperature or um, 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 of the scene of um, what was being represented or what was being thought about in painting um, at that moment, and you know thinking about um, uh, black artists specifically operating in the states. Um, um, and thinking about the pressures that come with the representation of, let's say, um, pain or trauma, um, and the expectation around the consumption of pain and trauma—significant um, um, economic um, situations that made it that you know maybe um, you know in the states, right? Like the freedom to represent. Um, um, something about your identity uh, maybe must be much harder in a in, in a condition where um, money is being uh, or, or goods are being inflated, or money does not have the same value, um, and you might just need to survive before you um, uh, play with uh, uh, the bounds or uh, the bounds with representation. So the question is, um, in your um, uh, view of what these painters were working through? Um, I'm interested to see to hear about what were some of the reoccurring um, representations or concepts within these paintings. Like, for instance, how many of the paintings did not deal at all with uh, Mugabe's uh, existence or with yeah. the um, finance? Or, you know, I, I'm just interested to to know um, um, what the forms of representation that these artists were pushing against or working through. And if there was a comment.
2: So from um, listening and just spending lots and lots of time with the artists, um, but also with people who have contributed significantly within the Zimbabwean art scene, um, the exhibition is, you can't really see from this, um, but the exhibition is split into seven different themes. So there's land, you sort of, in the land section where different artists have interpreted land issues, politics, um, uh, town, because the CBD of um, Harare and Bulawayo is a hub of many different things. It's where protest starts, it's where carnival starts, it's it's a place of nostalgia. Um, Shimurenga, which is a a term coined by Shireen Essoff. coming from the word Chimurenga, which means revolution, war, or struggle. So we removed, um, um, she removed the chi and replaced it with the she to talk about women fighting for space. Um, then there's another section on memory, um, where you look, memory and trauma, um, then spirituality, and um, lastly, di- the diaspora or migration. And all those things um, were, commonalities that were popping up in conversation, so it was really interesting to tie them together. Um, But also, there was an interest, a few months before the exhibition opened, there was an interesting article by a well-known art critic in South Africa, and he talked about Zimbabwean painting being about the distorted figure, the agonized uh, figure, and I was like, wait a minute. That's not necessarily true. That's just what you see at the art fairs, and the art fairs are not always representative of what's on the ground. You have to go there and really fun artists and to be able to include artists who are kind of formalists like Simon Buck. He's just celebrating color. Um, artists like Troy Macasa who's making, pushing the boundaries of what many people think of painting by using silicone and mixing it with paint. Um, and so not every artist is talking about um, social, political, economic issues, and that it was really fun for me to be able to um, include them and kind of complicate or distort or provoke or shift how people are thinking about work from Zimbabwe. At the same time though, um, a few months after the exhibition opened, a BBC journalist, I was taking him around the show. And it was like a one-hour interview, and, which ended up being like three minutes. <laughs> That's always frustrating. But he kept pushing me to say negative things about Robert Mugabe. And it was just it was marking the one-year anniversary since Robert Mugabe had gone down. So he kept saying, oh, Richard Mudaki, Mudariki, this is about Mugabe's fall, right? And like you know when journalists are trying to push you to say, I've heard of Zimbabwe, um, it's, it's always because of the political kind of negative dramatized stories. And so I think he was very surprised and somewhat disappointed to hear that actually some artists are just celebrating um, whatever or talking about um, the Me Too movement, which is universal or, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I, I think it's courageous and um, um, I respect the, um, your resistance to answering a question that is um, trying to fish a sort of overt um, uh, idea or representation of what Zimbabwe is. Uh, yeah, we're
2: not, we don't wake up as Zimbabweans and you know, think about Mugabe and dream about him, and right. you know, we have lives, we have parties, we go out, we have weddings, we celebrate, like our lives, our lives are very, I mean, we are very politically conscious, but life goes on. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so there's this moment in the story where the sculptor um, um, he's talking about he just stops having a discussion with the painter who, um, I mean, kind of low-key makes fun of him for how strange he's representing these animals and it's because he, is, he had, he's not used to them and he hasn't seen them. And it's seemingly in a moment of frustration, he takes these objects, these animals, and he throws them in a box um, to protect them from the surrounding, I mean, eyes or gaze. Um, and it seems to me in that moment, um, you as a curator, um, making the ethical choice to um, protect the artist by talking through what it is that they want to talk through in their work rather than talking through what is, des- what is desirable to, um, um, to any given idea about uh, painting, um, specifically painting coming out of, of the region, um, and this form of um, curator as community broker is also, I feel like, um, a way of thinking about a curator as one that um, protects artists um, uh, by contextualizing contextualizing their work in in a way that they want the work to be contextualized, Um, uh, no matter how um, seemingly attractive um, um, uh, an easy form of um, of um, um, speaking about their work um, can be, um, and so I think it's. I mean, to just to le-
2: to le- um, to extend what you're saying, I think um, our current chief curator Azu Wabugu, he said something that I think will stick t- stick with me for a very long time. He says, as curators, we need to be hosts, and we host artists and ideas and narratives and experiences. And I think hosting is a more positive way of thinking about curating and it kind of dismantles this um, position of power that can become very manipulative very quickly depending on where you're curating from.
1: Um, So, I I do, I want to come back to this question um, um, that I have around the proposal you made in the show, Homesick. Um, thinking about um, the role of humor, um, um, uh, thinking about braiding, thinking about um, alternate forms of thinking about monumentality um, as a way of working through being sick of a place, being sick of home, uh, being frustrated with a place, um, um, and maybe that frustration follows um, a desire for people Um, by people for you to talk about the place and so I was interested in this proposal and um, what has become of it if anything will become of it and um, let's say if you were to be able to realize the exhibition um, uh, next year what aspects might change or stay the same
2: well okay very much like Yvonne Vera Mm -hmm. Um, I started feeling more Zimbabwean when I left, I actually studied here which means you have to start thinking about who you are Um, but like I said for the past 10 years I've always sort of gone back so I've felt like I've always I've kind of existed in multiple temporalities um, which is not unique to Zimbabweans or to myself I think a lot of people within the global south or maybe it's just the way the world is a lot of artists do feel like they belong in multiple spaces so um and it's interesting i mean i chose the title homesick i would still like to realize the show i chose the title homesick because you can still be in love with the place that you've experienced trauma in um, in a weird way. And I think artists are from Zimbabwe are constantly talking about that in, in interesting and unique ways. Um, so I was in Zimbabwe for several months recently, and then I um, went back to Cape Town two weeks ago. And while I was in Zimbabwe, I was feeling very frustrated, but as soon as I got to Cape Town, I started romanticizing home again. And it's something that you just constantly do. And I think. Um, I would like to see how artists can articulate that in a clearer way, which is why I really want to realize that exhibition.
1: Um, so,
2: but I also don't want to be known as the Zimbabwean curator. Right. <laughs> so after this show, um, of course I'm from Zimbabwe and I did this Zimbabwean show, but I, I five years from now, I don't want to still be known as that Zimbabwean curator who curates Zimbabwean things. right? But I'll probably always be connected and be pulling out things from what I call home.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, and so um, I, I'm excited for you in the uh, transition of Koyo coming in as director of um, um, for many reasons, because the work that uh, she does um, is really important um, because she's a strong... Um, incredibly smart and generous woman of color Um, uh, and you know you have a a tremendous undertaking at the museum you know it's nine floors there's a hundred galleries and and a luxury hotel on top of the galleries like I can't wrap my mind around thinking um, through programming in a space that massive yet I haven't been Um, and like you said you know some spaces you know hundred galleries seems daunting but they could be um, smaller spaces Um, But I'm thinking about uh, the shift that might occur in the institution um, and how it maybe might change or... um, um maybe not change at all your relationship to um, um, organizing exhibitions versus uh, being able to produce um, exhibitions in which um, the voice, um, um, it, it, it's your own voice and you can exercise your voice and maybe that voice is one that doesn't want to be speaking through specifically or Zimbabwean um, uh So um, the question is around your relationship to the place given the change um, and where you see a possibility to exercise a voice outside of or an extension of five um, bob um, or um, um, any future work that you might do i think it's a blank canvas and
2: i'm walking into it on top of being a curator You're the
1: director of education? Uh,
2: No, I'm part of the Center for Art Education. um, And I mostly deal with public programs and tertiary collaborations. So Um, so there's someone for family programming, someone for outreach, and um, an overall head of
1: art education. So my question for you is around your role as a curator and also your role as an educator. you know and many I was speaking to Nancy about this um, in um, experiences around um, historians specifically usually white historians that are speaking about um, uh, the history of African art um, and the conversation about voice and who has a voice is um, usually talk through in this and um, we were in a, in a situation in which uh, someone had, or someone had said that You know, they felt like they needed to speak for African artists, because who else would? And in uh, the museum, um, the mission to some degree, and I might be misnaming it, is like um, a moment for um, um, African artists to tell their own stories. Um, And um, I'm interested in this idea of, um, you know... um, taking the initiative to take back um, uh, the ability to tell your own stories and the role of education within that in the institution. Um, Do you approach that with a philosophy? Do you approach that? It seems like, you know, deep listening and an engagement with artists to think through what it is that they actually want to speak through is the start. Um, uh, and, and you know it's not necessarily a, a, a targeted question, but I'm interested in this idea and how the museum frames itself in um, its relationship to telling stories and specifically telling stories of Africa and what that means. Okay. So I won't
2: necessarily speak on behalf of the museum. Um, but my approach in my role in as education manager within the Center for Art Education is um i i prefer the term knowledge sharing than educating because there's a certain hegemony implied with educating like i am the authority and you have to listen to me Um, whereas i think knowledge sharing is more collaborative it's more honest there's room for mistakes there's a flexibility um and i think when you approach it that way you organically begin to create platforms for people to, um, I mean, someone once spoke about Zyde Smoker as a safe, a place that hopefully, or endeavors to create um, a safe space for artists or people to express whatever it is they want to express. And with that in mind, um, all sorts of things can, can sort of be birthed or be gleaned.
1: Um, so, um, i turn over to Ashley for a bit to ask some questions and then maybe we can get into something that's more conversational between the three of us. Uh, but Ashley, I want to start by talking about your experience again um, with um, two shows that you've done at the, um, um, the Brooklyn Museum that I'm specifically concentrating on and it's the Soul of a Nation show, which is a really large blockbuster show. Um, and um, Eric Mack's show, um, which is still up currently, and the role of um, that you occupy as a curator—one uh, that was um, an organizing curator for such a massive show, and one that was the um, initiating curator for a show that, for me, really pushed the conversation around um, the role of painting, its relationship to fashion, um, the. Um, um, the role of um, um, uh, the black male within this um, and how much beauty and poetry was infused in um, Eric Mack's show and how much original voice was um, allowed to be um, surfaced in Eric's show that wasn't particularly, one of the things that I, that I um, love so much about Eric's show and uh, and the way that it was contextualized is how open it allowed the conversation to be around subjectivity and around his identity but also just around the medium that wasn't uh, presupposing any um, um, experience in his life around um, um, being a black male and being that united states um, um, that allowed him to um, you know represent him his work in a way that was nuanced and that was complex Um, um, and not necessarily prescriptive to a sort of representation or uh, a pressure that is is associated with a representation. And so I'm interested in those two experiences and hearing you talk about that because they seem to me incredibly different. Um, um, Yeah.
3: So you want to learn about how it came to be or? I want to learn
1: how your experience was in putting together a show that already had so many deep resources. You know, at histories to pull from um, um, that were associated to art and representations and the experience of Black artists in the United States, uh, versus a show that you worked on um, um, and originated with Eric um, um, that spoke. Yes, addresses some of the um, tactics that were uh, brought forth in. Um, the works in Soul of the Nation but did so in a way that felt like the, the representation of, of, of blackness was, was complex and it was nuanced and it, 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 it was open and it allowed me to see painting and textile work differently and related to Eric and his practice and in his identity that would just felt so open to me um, and so original in the voice that you um, brought forth in contextualizing the show. So it's the, the yeah, both Anne and the relationship that you had um, organizing those two things that were very specifically different um, in the resources you had.
3: So um, Eric's show came out of working on Soul of a Nation. Soul of a Nation is an exhibition uh, that featured 67 artists over 150 works of art um, between 19, made between 1963 and 1983 focusing on African American artists the one non African American artist being Frank Bowling um, who, was, who is um, British um, Gu- Guyanese <laughs> um, and Speaking back to your question, I'll quickly just talk about the reorganization for New York, which, connecting to your question about community, um, mostly what I did in reorganizing the show was really trying to consider what it meant for the show to originate in London, um, and then bringing it to New York, where it would be received by an audience who had a much closer relationship to Um, that this history. So I started, again, thinking about education um, or knowledge sharing. I started from the base point that um, audiences would be receptive to um, slightly greater depth um, in terms of the history. Um, And I also thought that they would have a better understanding of just United States politics um, in a way that um, a British person the average British person maybe would not. So it meant reorganizing the show according to region. Um, So um, making specific, what became specific New York sections, um, which these galleries come from, it meant in a a cluster of cities in the south. Um, It meant separating out Los Angeles, from Oakland and the Bay Area um, and Chicago, and it also meant um, giving me an opportunity to kind of uh, set this regional um, categorization um, understanding of the period on one floor and then um, having a different thesis for the second floor. And I'll pause here for a second with this Sam Gilliam painting because in many ways, this work became the um, impetus for Eric's show. Um, in working on this show, I started reading a lot about painting during this period. Um, I went, again, back to Dr. Kelly Jones's Energy Experimentation, which was an exhibition that took place at the Student Museum in Harlem um, in 2006, I want to say, and it included many of the artists, the abstract artists you see in this show um i looked um into artists like william t Williams, sam gilliam um who was kind of experiencing a resurgence of uh, research on him but uh, it had this kind of un- recognized that what was really interesting about this show is that it had this kind of unexpected thesis, which was that painting was really important in the 1960s and 1970s, which is kind of counterintuitive to what we think of as New York art history, at least, where you have conceptual art, you have performance art, all of these really, really dematerialization de- of the art object. So what did it mean that all these artists were engaged in this super traditional medium? And so the second floor really began, became a kind of painting experimentation floor um, which connecting back to what you um, we were speaking earlier about expectations of a black artist. Um, Yeah, artists, of course, are experimenting with materials and abstraction and all of these things. I don't separate abstraction from political art, though. I think that a political artist is just as interested in these formal concerns as what we think of as formal artists. But in any case, um, I was really excited about this because I think it was subversive in that I don't know that if this show came to the Brooklyn Museum and it was, you know, if it if it was advertised as this kind of like experimental painting show, we would have accepted it. I think that in in large ways right now, artists are finding their ways into museums um, by way of these kinds of politically important shows. Um, so the fact that this existed alongside a conversation of politics was important to me. Um and then, yeah, so after making the show rehanging the show, it was kind of the opportunity was presented to me um to uh, bring in an emerging artist mm-hmm. and it was originally supposed to be in the rotunda of the museum, which if anyone has been recently, it's where the dohosa uh uh apartment um reconfiguration re, re- was it called? <laughs> Recreation um, is now, and then a certain thing shifted, and so then it moves down to the first floor. And um, I tapped Eric because I've known his work for a while, and I thought he was a great artist to bring together a number of threads of, Soul of Um, He's very much thinking about expanded painting practice, the suspension of the canvas, color field painting. He's thinking about minimalism, which is something that I didn't realize until doing this show with him. Um, He's thinking about conceptual art and where that meets painting. He's also thinking about the um, the kind of boundaries between fashion and fine art proper, which we also see in the work of Jay Jarrell. Um, So he just brought a lot of these things together and brought it square into our present moment, literally making art in the museum, which was quite interesting to me, um, but again, I think let's see and try to get to if I can get to an image of his Overstreet as another predecessor. Mm, um, that's a, such a bad image. Sorry, <laughs> I should have updated these. Um, So he suspended um, what amounts to um, two bolts of of fabric across the diagonal um, and width of the gallery. So um, it's a space that's open at four corners. It doesn't, it's not enclosed. So um, see yourself in relationship to this painted alternative canvas of of fabric um, that he hand dyed. Um, So it's at once an actual fabric that I think interestingly could easily be made into an actual item of clothing. It kind of holds the potential of use, um, but it also just exists as a painting in suspension. So it's kind of, it's at at the edge of a number of disciplines, as it were. That's another shot. Um, but he also sees himself in converse, I see him too, in conversation with a number of other artists who are non-black as well. Rauschenberg is a huge influence for him, thinking about assemblage and um, where uh, where Rauschenberg meets the stylists. Like it's a sculpture that's been styled, and he looks to the stylist as someone who um, is a kind of curator artist art <laughs> mix. Um so, Yeah, I forget what the question was at this point, but um, I see them very much in conversation with each each other, and I think that I'm so proud that I got this exhibition through (laughs) because I think it's not what most institutions, or even maybe the Brooklyn Museum, would normally do in bringing a black artist. Through the museum, um, but kind of giving him the space to do something that is not representational, um, and that is very experimental, is is kind of like quite a thing. And I'm I'm so convinced that like <laughs> in de- in a few decades from now, when he has his retrospective, this is going to be such a key piece that um, we're also going to hopefully it'll pass collections committee collect for the museums as well. So.
1: Uh, so just a, I have a follow up question uh, about Eric and this show so i'm, I'm glad the show passed too <laughs> because the show is really um, a contribution um, to the conversation about um, um, young artists of color um, and um, you know the title the let me cross uh, let me cross let me walk across the room uh, at once say um, um, a, a declaration of of of, of asking for um, visibility while also taking visibility and um, you know you know, quite literally, um, taking over every corner and aspect of the space, and 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 enacting visibility through abstraction, um, and through materiality, and through um, uh, a, a, an aversion to um, um, representation as we understand it, with with relationship to politics. So, um, my question for you around the tactics that um, um, Eric. Um, employs in his work um, and around the tactics that were employed um, that we saw throughout history in um, Soul of a Nation is if you were to extend potentially let's we would maybe not call it Soul of a Nation but extend this um, um, exhibition idea around um, artists of color thinking about politics and aesthetics uh, and resistance um, starting with Eric what are the other artists that you might add in the exhibitions that are rethinking notions of um, representation and politics and blackness um, um, and why? Oh, current artists, contemporary yeah. artists working. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Soul of a Nation 2.0 to some degree. Yeah,
3: huh. That's Where a, it feels to I me mean, like Eric so many, is
1: pivoting... You, yeah. Towards, oh, uh, <laughs> and I'm not necessarily to give me asking you to give a show proposal per yeah. se, but maybe just talk about one or two artists that you think could potentially continue this conversation, um, um, and specifically why, like what are the tactics, tact, um, um, identity, and um, the production of art. Um.
3: Um, I'll... Hmm. I'll answer that by way of one artist that is already in the Brooklyn Museum collection to keep it. <laughs> um, uh, Sadie Barnett mm-hmm. is an artist we collected recently out of Oakland. Um, she's somebody that I think about in relation to Sullivan Nation just because she's also invested in the time period um, and she looks towards um, archival material, the, the series that we. This, the series from which we acquired a work um, relates to FBI files around um, her father, um, who was a former Black Panther. Um, so she collects these archival, she requested that they be declassified um, and she would have access to them, she received them, and then she has a kind of um, conceptual slash, again, painting slash, collage-based practice where she revisits those archives um, and manipulates them in ways with spray paint, um, rhinestones, um, various things that kind of work within her lexicon of the the frivolous female material um, that she uses in a lot of her work. Um, And, yeah, she's kind of calling attention to this so-called objective record and... um, reclaiming it, but also kind of just claiming it (laughs) um, as her own in a, yeah, in a kind of subjective woman way.
1: Um, Okay, so I've, I think I have one more question that is not, it's to you, but feel free to both um, answer, Um, and that's about you, uh, your role within the institution, um, and your desire to um, uh, work with artists um, um, that might be uh, from a given community, Um, and how What are strategies that you use to navigate um, um, the demands um, um, that um, an institution might put on you um, um, as far as um, bringing in communities or um, leveraging relationships? Or do you even feel that? And what are your conversations with artists um, specifically um, um, around this navigating um, of of those demands, if they're, in fact, there um, and and put on um, you, uh, both as uh, curators of color working within um, institutions, uh, women, young women working within institutions. uh, that have networks, that have relationships with artists, um, and uh, unique uh, uh, and brilliantly unique points of view? it's a t- uh, charged question.
2: <laughs> well, for our institution, it's super brand new. It's a year and a half old, and I feel like every week something new is happening, something's shifting um lots of really interesting challenges lots of lots of um growth pains um but overall it's it's just really exciting i think it's different from the brooklyn museum that's been there for a minute <laughs> um so it kind of feels like like i said before and i know it's a cliche like a blank canvas and um I'm using quite a lot of cliches right now, but um, the, we've been in a moment in the last 10 years where a lot of people have said, Africa's riding, rising. Um, this is Africa's moment, and when I'm at work, I feel that in as much as it has sort of become a cliche. I really am excited about it. And I feel very privileged. I feel like I'm in a position certainly of power and, my anxiety comes from the responsibility. Of course, we can't do anything um, that is completely exhaustive. And I'm trying to be very careful not to speak on behalf of the institution because I, I, um, um, I'd i rather just speak on how I feel within the institution. So I do feel like there's a lot of responsibility and um, just really privileged that I can be Part of a platform for Africans to tell their
1: story. Yeah. So I do have a follow-up for that, given that um, it, you are a new institution, slightly older than the institution where I work, which is were a year a year old, um, where. Um, you know we were thinking about you know unlike institutions like the Brooklyn Museum which have deep histories and um, uh, collections to mind uh, to mine this notion of memory and history with respect to a new institution Um, but what's the relationship to uh, memory and history in a new institution that is uh, being thought about as filling um, the A void of an institution, right? Like, so it being the biggest um, um, contemporary art institutions on the continent, it being referred to as the the Tate of Africa, which is like every other uh, um, headline refers to institutions this way. Which
2: um, um, I'll go back to. So so... two things that I've um, I've said repeatedly. Today. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is what grounds me. And it's been super helpful so, so far. I'm listening and hosting. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be constantly listening to the artists. And you need to think. I mean, journalists are going to try and canonize or frame you in whatever way. Um, And people who market will market things in a specific way. But I think my role right now is to be listening because um, the artists are like prophets. They're prophets and um, um, archivists and documenters. And those are the people with all the ideas. And our job is to listen to what they're saying and try and... Um, make sense out of it, or create a platform from which we can then um, show the bigger community. The second thing is hosting. Um, We need to, well, I feel like I need to focus on hosting the now. And you can't always articulate it. I think sometimes you just do what you can do, and then you can find a language for it retrospectively. I know it's very vague, but... (laughs)
3: Put it um, relationship to contemporary artists. I'm trying to remember what the <laughs> well,
1: I mean, we went off. We went off, but actually, maybe for you to um, working with an institution that has a historical memory, right? Oh, um, uh, um, versus working in an institution um, um, that is newer, um, that has more of a, that is more of a blank canvas, has more of a blank slate. Um, um, Yeah, I would just love to talk about how and in what ways your role as a a curator has to contend with the history um, and the legacy and the memory of the institution um, and how you might do that with a new artist, um, maybe through commissioning um, or through bringing in um, a new um, artwork into the world in whatever way possible. Maybe it's discursive and it's not exhibitionary. And do you have to contend with the institution's memory and um, pivot, and to cut, or do you feel like you have the freedom to um, pivot and to, um, uh, yeah, change the direction of the conversation?
3: Um, I think contemporary works in so many ways at the the museum. because it doesn't necessarily come out of the contemporary department only, even. Uh, So we have the Sackler Center for Feminist Art that curates contemporary shows. Our photography department is largely contemporary, and there are also contemporary projects that come out of the director's office. So there are a lot of ways that the the museum does it. I think, especially when we think about acquisitions, um, we have the whole collection to place a potential acquisition against. And I think in that space, it's more likely that um, the kind of institutional narratives that either intentionally or unintentionally have coalesced over time are kind of... Um, the standard by which we determine, does it make sense to acquire a work like this? Um, And so that of course will have bearing on the contemporary exhibitions um, because that's our collecting focus and if you are doing your job well, like you're collecting the same things you wanna share stories about. Um, That being said, I think, even though we're a nearly 200-year-old institution, um, we're constantly reinventing ourselves. Uh, I think that this is the first time there was there's been a contemporary insul, uh, kind of site-specific installation in the Great Hall like this. So you know that's we saw first that happen at the museum, which is exciting too. Um, though I think uh, as an institution, we do have. Uh, I think a charge to really be continually reflective about our institutional history, specifically when we put on historical shows. So in the case of Solemnation, for instance, um, that meant I'm seeing if I have a slide here that actually shows it, adding a section um, for archives. That related to that relates to the Brooklyn Museum's own institutional history, um, yeah. So working with our library, our archivists, and pulling documents that relate to what our own responses were to the protests of the period um in our case we started a community gallery speaking to this question community um, in response to black artists in the community who asked why they weren't being shown at the brooklyn museum so i think a lot of institutions are also doing that right now the whitney did that with their protest show i think it's necessary to be self-reflexive
1: um Yes, we can open up for questions, um, if you have any. If not, I have one, I have some final question, or a final question for the both of you. I have a question about, um, I have a question about the, the different focuses that you said your show had. Um, I noticed that there wasn't one focused on love or sexuality or... Uh, the exchange between people in love. Was that purposeful or did you feel like it wasn't, it didn't fit within the context of what you were trying to show in the um, Zimbabwe art? Um,
2: well, after listening to the different artists and um, trying to make sense of how people were feeling about this political, economic moment, um, that was not a very dominant or it wasn't a very urgent theme and I wanted to focus on what I felt the artists were saying was urgent. Um, and some of those things are bread and butter issues. Um, um, also just looking at the Zimbabwean climate, like spirituality is a big deal and some of it came from questions. So why is, why do we have um, a huge Evangelical churches springing up, filling stadiums everywhere? And why do we have the apostory um, praying under trees every Thursday and Friday? And then why is there a big intellectual um, resurgence or like wanting to go back to ancestral worship amongst creative, um, well, intellectuals within the creative? Zimbabwean art community. So I had to put that theme spirituality, because that was more urgent, and there were lots of questions that were coming from that. Or maybe, you know, the, the, the theme sort of led into each other. So when people think of Zimbabwe, they think of land, and then they think of who owns it and why. And um, then you think of polit- um, colonial painters like Thomas Baines and Barry Bickle using Thomas Baines paintings in her painting. Well, she didn't actually submit painting for the exhibition. Her work was digital, but it was manipulative, um, manipulation of Thomas Baines's work. Um, so land then leads you to talk about politics, the politics of land and the politics of everything else. But the funny thing about politics in Zimbabwe is that you, you don't have the freedom of expression that you do in other countries. So then you you look at how artists start to use allegory and metaphor and codes to talk about politics. Um, and then back to spirituality, is, is um, this mass or common desire to seek the divine a way of covering up collective trauma? So a lot of um, traumatic, well, obviously, um, the Chimurenga war that brought about Zimbabwean independence is very recent in our uh, history, but then there were also uh, massacres that happened that people don't necessarily talk about openly in Zimbabwe today, so is that a way of masking that? And I don't have the answers, but it was really interesting to see how artists were trying to grapple with that.
0: Hi, Um, I'm really curious about the move from somewhere like Zimbabwe to South Africa. And in a sense of the Zeist is bringing in, I would think curators and collaborators from around the continent. Is there an effort to be touching certain areas of the continent so that there is representation? Is um, Is there any particular effort being made that is specific to Representation to territory, to gender, um, how is it building as a new institution in that way through its staff?
2: Okay, so I'll try uh, in my answer I'll focus on my the Zimbabwe exhibition so um, so I said earlier that um, the the reason why this exhibition took place was we felt an urgent need to see how artists were articulating a specific the year 2000, it's estimated that Zimbabwe. But also, um, so since the year 2000, it's estimated that about four, four million Zimbabweans out of 12, a population of about 12, 13 million left Zimbabwe in the early 2000s. Most of them settled in South Africa. So um, like CEOs of top, tech companies, some of them are run by Zimbabweans, all your waiting staff uh, in Cape Town anyway, are Zimbabweans, all your Uber drivers are Zimbabweans. So it felt like, I feel like uh, you always need to be responding to your local community, even if you're a big international museum. And so it made sense for Zeitmoker at the time to do a Zimbabwe show because it's really relevant to the local community. Um, But, as mentioned before, um, no side smoke is a year and a half and there have been lots of really interesting changes um, and we don't really know what the future holds. I'm really glad Brooke Minto is here, one of our directors.
4: (laughs) I thought I would answer some of the questions for you. Yes, please. (laughs) You asked a question about gender, the staff, and to your question about the staff, um, you you asked a question about gender. The staff is quite uh, mixed, both gender and race, ethnicity, um, and all kinds of orientation, but it is very heavy on the management side um, with female leadership, which I think is quite significant to note. Um, And then with regard to representation of the continent, it's something that was very important to our uh, new leadership search that we went through over the past year and a month ago we named our second executive director and chief curator who is a woman and she's someone who is from the french-speaking part of the continent and i think for a lot of people um it really serves as an opportunity to link french-speaking africa and anglo-africa and um it's something that comes up quite a lot in south africa and and it's a question that we're faced with a lot. You know, She's, she's Cameroonian-born and has made her career in Senegal. Um, and I think just that alone will be an automatic kind of um, reset for all of us because we now have this connection to artists and to institutions and to... Um, intellectual life that we didn't have before at, at really the highest level and I think from there you know we just carry on but it, it's something that was important in thinking about the search and who would be the right leader for the institution going forward I
1: have a question for you. Um, with the show being over in the west coast now um, are you finding that the impact or the feedback is different with like the memory of place with the Black Panthers and that art being reflected in the show um, or things that speak to that time? Are you finding a different level of engagement and exchange with that audience?
3: I'm not involved in the LA presentation. and. I admittedly haven't been keeping up with the press around it. I mean, I had a Google alert when it was here, but (laughs) I deleted that so quick once it was gone because, you know, gotta move on. Um, But I know that the curator there did change the show further, and she um, added artists from LA. Um, I just think that they occupy a bit more space in that show now. Um, So there's been this recognition that Everywhere it travels, it needs to adapt and respond to the histories of the the corresponding place. Um, So I think people do appreciate that. Um, I know that at the same time as Soulva there, the Charles White Show also moved to LA. It's at LACMA um, now. And I know that they've had a lot of cross-programming, so there's a sense of synergy over, you know, L.A. and black artists during this period that I think is really generative.
1: So uh, we can um, uh, close it out. Um, um, I have one final question for you both. um, around your roles within um, the institutions that you work um, and I'm interested to hear about you know um, what you might be turning to next what excites you the most um, um, this doesn't have to be medium specific or um, um, or, or um, telling us what the next show is um, but what is something that you're working on that um, and generative energy to want to continue to um, um, bring artists and communities um, uh, and the sort of works that you have been bringing into the institutions where you work, um, into the institutions. So it's a kind of what's next without, you don't have to tell me what the show is, but it's just, I'm interested to hear about things that are um, exciting, um, that are coming up in the work that you're doing.
3: Yeah, um, I can't even answer what's next because I'm waiting for like a number of things to <laughs> fall into place in terms of the calendar. Um, but I would say that I think in hindsight, now that having done those two shows kind of back to back, I realize that I, I really like formal questions, (laughs) um, and I've been finding that I'm interested in formal things that then take me to social issues, political issues, as opposed to what I would have thought would have been the opposite in my process and interests um so that's not super specific but that's something that i'm kind of realizing about myself i'm really interested in um what form can act as a vehicle for and um pushing that as far as it can go um in ways that can feel political and ethical and all those things and not disconnected from history yeah um and
2: for me um when I'm back at work on Tuesday, we'll be recalibrating, (laughs) Um, and I think it makes things interesting. And like I said, um, there's just a lot of openness and um, a lot of new things taking place right now. Um, But also there's, um, within my role in the Center for Art Education, a lot of interesting ideas around knowledge sharing within the local Cape Town community and abroad as well.
1: Thank you. Um, Thank you both for um, this conversation um, as it started uh, in email and as it's um, finished here in um, public, Um, uh, I've appreciated my time with you um, uh, and respect. Both of you and the work that you do and the positions that you hold within institutions. And um, thank you all for being here and listening to us and having questions. Um, and thank you finally to Tanashe and Nancy for inviting us. Thank you so much
0: for a wonderfully engaging panel. Thank yeah. you so much for your contributions. Thank you. Thank you. That's the last item on our program for today. I think the fair still open for a little bit so you can wander up. Um, the program for forum is in the pamphlet that you receive when you enter. Please join us tomorrow and Sunday for more screenings, more conversations, and some performance.